Hello, hello, and how you doing out there, Pinky Podsters? Here I am with maybe a bit more of an coast-to-coast uh, -coast Arthur Clarke short. What do I mean by that? Hell, I, what the hell am I talking about? I've had a drink, maybe two. Where were we? Hi, that's a way to start, isn't it? Welcome to Pinkie Pod. P -p -p -pow. Forgot myself for a minute there. How you doing out there? That was all cut up on four episodes pre-recorded, which you have been listening to, and then I did nothing for four weeks. Well, maybe not nothing. I was told that where I am renting a chair, I'm a barber when I'm in my other life, and uh, it's closing down by May. But within six days after freaking out, I found a new place to go. So I've been kind of wrapping my head around that and budgeting and making business cards and getting supplies and etc and I'll probably be, be starting there by the 15th or so blah 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 how you been out there that's my quickie update you have to pardon me I think I'm in a weird sort of I don't even know what you call this mood but we're just gonna do this anyway and we're gonna drink it's like three o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon, March the 2nd. I'm just going to get the business out of the way because I think I'm going to space it out later. You can find me on Twitter at PodPinky. You can find me at Instagram at Pinky underscore podcast. I would love if you would uh, kick in a buck or two at buymeacoffee.com slash PinkyPod. I have PinkySquarePress.com. I am still working on the Omnibus, Paris Immortal fans, and another project titled Dark Wings. I just mentally am having to wrap my head around the changes that are occurring. You Maybe you know how that is, you know, and there are days that it just makes you kind of sit in your head and do nothing except play Hades with 75 uh, escapes or so. And if you know, you know. If you played it, you know what I'm talking about. Man, that Thanatos. Sometimes that bitch just doesn't show up, but boy, do I keep chasing him. Like I said, if you know, you know. But enough of that. What the fuck am I here to talk about today? Well, not fried bacon, even though, mmm, bacon. Oh, what's another change that happened? My favorite place to sit and write and, you know, it, it, it shut down forever. Thanks, COVID. Which, by the way, where I'm renting, that that's another reason that is shutting down. Just a lot of good places just did not make it and uh, my favorite place to sit and write where I would often share photographs from West Five gone but not forgotten I was there on one of their last nights and uh, I'm really bummed out about it and they had the best BLT I've ever had in my life and really good drinks it sucks so we'll see what goes in there next so if you're in West Seattle and you're listening pour one out for West Five all right but today we're talking about a different type of bacon. And no, it's not Kevin Bacon either. Footloose, footloose. Now we're talking about Bacon's Castle. And some of my references today are www.nps.gov, whatever, and virginiahistory.org. PreservationVirginia.org, SandsParanormalResearch.blogspot.com, which I'll probably mention again later because I'm going to read from it, 
And yeah, we won't read that one. I don't think I got much of anything from there. Shall we just get to it? Ahem. Papers. This is really off the cuff. Surrey, Virginia. The oldest brick dwelling in North America was built for Arthur Allen and his family in 1665. It was first known, <laughs> Captain Obvious here, as Allen's Brick House. But by some accounts, in 1676, it had gained its present name, Bacon's Castle. I say by some accounts because I've read in other sources here that it wasn't called that till later. I don't care. It's Bacon's Castle. What a great name. Why? Is it called Bacon's Castle? Well, not because they serve up a lot of tasty, tasty, tasty bacon. Or maybe they did. I don't know. But it's really because several of Nathaniel Bacon's men holed up in the place for about four months during Bacon's Rebellion. That was apparently eventually Governor Bacon. I'm not so sure about that, though. And what was this rebellion, you might ask? Well, let me tell you. Nathaniel led some Virginia settlers in an uprising against then-Governor William Berkeley. Why, you might ask? Well, there was the little problem of declining tobacco prices and a very high taxation rate that favored the wealthy. It was the first such rebellion of its kind in the territories. The alliance between indentured European servants and a mixture of enslaved and free black people disturbed the upper class, as you might imagine. Oh, <laughs> we can't have that. Pasty white old men, we can't have that. Now, they, in response, hardened the racial caste of slavery, trying to divide the other two races, the Europeans, I assume, and the African Americans. And apparently the farmers also wanted Native Americans, because you might as well just get all of them, right? Driven from Virginia, which they failed to do. But Berkeley himself was actually recalled to England eventually. So I guess they won on that score. But I'm not really here for a deep dive on that entire affair or to get into all the history of that. I mean, we could do a historical episode, but I'm not here for that today, okay? I'm here because there are tales of ghosts. But I do recommend that you look into this moment of history because I think it's important. I think it's interesting. I mean, you should always know your history. But I'll tell you a little bit more about the house and some of the people who were in it. Now, the senior Arthur Allen died not long after moving into the mansion. And so it then passed to his eldest son, who was also named Arthur. Arthur Allen II, because they were so original back then. I don't know, when you have a lot of children, you just have to do that, right? Now, he is referenced often as Major Allen. He was born in 1651, and by age 24, which was 1675, Berkeley had appointed him Justice of the Peace of Surrey County Court. So it was that Major Allen was present at a court session of August 10th, 1676, when Surrey justices voted to send supplies to the rebellious Bacon. Ruh-roh! Awkward! It's probable that he opposed this because soon afterwards he hid all of his silver and left home and followed Berkeley. Now he was in Jamestown when Nathaniel Bacon burnt it down. And I bet it really smelled good, y'all. Oh, sorry. 
you, you're going to hear a lot of bacon jokes through this, maybe. I don't know, because I like bacon. By November 1st, 1676, by the way, Arthur Allen was then Captain Allen. I don't know why. I'm just telling you the brief shit that I read. But let's go back to the castle, shall we? So Friday, September 15th, 1676, John Finley, the overseer of the area, of the castle, returned from Janestown, where he had been visiting with his, you know, boss, I guess, Allen. One of Bacon's supporters, Rogers, had him arrested. And Finley was then questioned, but he was released. However, dun, 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 it was only about a half a mile away that some of Baconian, it was written, I love that, Baconian supporters, Baconian, not draconian, Baconian, because we're going to have brunch. Baconian supporters arrested him again. They disarmed him and stole his horse, and then he was imprisoned for 11 weeks. So, yeah, he had a whole half mile of freedom, you guys. Did you catch that between my weird rantings? Now, three days later, on September 18th, 70 of Bacon's followers, I'm I'm positive that Bacon has a lot more devotees than that to this day. Okay, so they were led by William Rookings and others, and they seized and occupied the castle. And it was totally done in military style. They, they ran everything like a military occupation, including ranks. They wreaked havoc on this place and the land. They, they shot and ate his cattle. They trampled the fields, which were worth a lot. I didn't tell you that I think there was 200, uh, he started out with about 200 acres, and I think I saw off the top of my head, he ended up with around 500 acres. I mean, that is a wealthy son of a bitch in the 1600s, okay? That's a lot of land. So they trampled the fields, which they had wheat and tobacco and such. They plundered the house. And some of the things they stole were listed as saddles, sure, bridles, yes, 22 pairs of fine Dallas sheets. Those are bed sheets. Holland sheets. I wonder if that's like, you know, 500 thread count, something, something. Pillowcases, napkins, tablecloths, aprons, women's shifts, a bed, pewter basins, pewter plates, etc., etc. This might sound silly, but I am guessing particularly since they say what type of sheets these are, they must have fetched a mighty fine price if you tried to resell them. They must have been very fine indeed. Or maybe they just thought they felt good against their man flesh when they laid upon them. Oh, it's so lovely. Oh, yeah, and by the way, they also drank the place dry. All the cupboards, the booze, everything, as you might expect. They finally got their asses out of there on December 27th. That's what I read. And Allen later on sued for 25,000 pounds of tobacco. I don't mean tobacco damage, which is what I originally thought. But as I read more, I realized like that's what he wanted to be paid from what I gathered because he accepted a reduced settlement from some of the smaller men, as it was put, of 250 pounds of tobacco each but from the leaders, he wanted them to pay in full. So yes, it sounds like he wanted to be paid in tobacco, which I am certain would fetch him a very good price. So this is a beautiful structure. It's a cruciform brick house, triple diamond chimneys, 
and an English slate roof, and it would be considered high Jacobean culture, probably one of the only examples here or that even still exists. Now, I read that the Allens had it until 1843 when it was auctioned. And then Preservation Virginia acquired it at another auction in the 70s and restored it. But, 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 but I was talking about ghosts. I, I consider getting way deeper into this whole history, but I'm not really a history podcast unless I tell you from the beginning that I'm doing a historical episode, right? So ghosts. So what are the stories? What are, what are some of the stories surrounding this place? Well, they talk about fireballs, floating heads, voices, which are seen and heard on the estate. And is this because of Bacon's occupation? Well, the leader of that little occupation where they just rifled through the house and took everything, uh, he died there of dysentery. Could he possibly be there? And what of the fireballs? This could be connected to the fact that there was a comet that streaked through the sky in the fall of 1675. And it was taken, of course, as a bad omen. It wasn't the first time that people there had seen such an event, such a celestial event in the sky that preceded a bad, bad thing. It did a bad, bad thing. Uh, there was apparently one time where they saw in the 1640s a comet that preceded uh, an attack by Native American tribes. You know, that could have just been purely coincidental, though. I think there was a lot of fighting back then. But people do claim to see fireballs that blaze down the stairs. And they also show up in a cemetery which is close to the castle. Fireballs are said to rise from the graves. Now, I, I don't know, like, are these like big flaming, goodness gracious, great balls of fires? Or are they ghost lights or something? I don't know. One of the most unnerving things is a floating head. It's an African-American woman. Uh, at one time, you should know that the property lodged up to 300 or more slaves. There were 18 slave quarters, and only one of them still stands to this day. So it is likely, I mean, I'm sure, I'm, I'm confident we can say yes, absolutely, that many, many slaves died on this property. They lived in horrible conditions, and of course, they worked themselves to death on this some 500 acres, okay? The basement, or the cellar, of this property is said to be the most active. People say there's a young black girl there who loves to tug on visitors' clothing. And I'm wondering if she just wants some attention or someone to play with. I don't know how old she is. I don't know if she's trapped there, but it might be kind of lonely, you know? There are things that they have things flying off the shelves. Uh, uh, things get broken. There's people who have stayed there who came back to their rooms and like hurricane uh, glass lamp was shattered and they swear that they didn't do it. There are pops and moans and wails and they even hear gunshots. And there are voices telling people to get out. So basically, this place has every freaking paranormal investigator's wet dream, right? A very famous occurrence at this place is just called the Ghost Light, which runs from an area called Lanes Creek Church, or the ruins of the church, across all of the vast fields, and then along into the castle grounds. Now, it makes a circuit 
So it goes back, you know, it comes over and then it goes back and it disappears once it reaches the church, church ruins again. There is also stories of a full on apparition of a woman who is said to have a kind face. She has black hair and a white scarf around her head. Now, this is a place that you can go to her for the history and the artifacts, and of course, paranormal teams love to research it. The uh, Castle Caretakers, the Preservation Society, also like to host events, I've noticed particularly, of course, in the fall, October, and I believe you can spend the night there at times, not all the time. I probably got this idea from here, uh, I don't remember now, but Ghost Hunters Taps, which I've mentioned before, recently visited. I think I did watch the episode. And it is on Discovery Plus if you would like to check it out. But I've decided that I would like to read you some actual um, researchers' notes. So that brings me back to sansparanormalresearch.blogspot.com. Granted, this... Uh, now, this they say they wrote this from Southside Hollywood, February 21st, 2012. So this is an older one. Now, they talk about uh, the paranormal history. The paranormal occurrences at Bacon's Castle started long before Bacon's Rebellion, they say. In 1644, a comet streaked across the sky of Virginia, and not long after, there was a terrible Indian invasion that killed numerous colonists. I am quoting here. In 1675, another comet was seen over Virginia, and many colonists saw it as a bad omen of things to come, which I told you about. In the spring of 1676, there was a terrible plague of locusts, which swept the colony and consumed all of the vegetation in sight. Needless to say, the colonists were not surprised at Bacon's conquest that ravaged the colony only a few months later. Now that makes me stop and go, excuse me, what? Didn't, uh, didn't, uh, he say that they ruined his fields? It sounded like locusts did. Anyway, after Bacon's rebellion, there came to be many stories associated with the castle. Let me stop and back up here. So they were calling those paranormal occurrences... They just talk about the comet and stuff and the locusts. I don't know if that's that's not paranormal, guys. I thought you were going to tell us about some ghosts. Whatever. But then if there was, um, if there were a lot of colonists uh, killed there, then I would assume that a lot of those people became ghosts. Maybe that's what they mean. So, back to the stories associated with the castle. One story is that a young doctor and his wife lived there. And they had a love that was something special. Oh, here we go. There is actually a window in the house with a poem scratched into it that the doctor wrote for his wife. Oh, okay. Legend has it that the wife died a tragic death at a young age, and it left him heartbroken. Well, what is the poem, yo? Now we're going to have to look this up. Another story goes that a young woman and her family lived in the castle when the woman fell in love with this handsome, well-to-do army officer. It was quick, this love. But the soldier had to leave to fight a war. He promised on his return that he would marry her. And they wrote beautiful poetry confessing their love to one another the entire time he was gone. But the girl's mother passed away before he could return. So when the soldier returned and good to his word proposed, she refused, saying that she had to take care of her brothers 
and her grief-stricken father. The soldier was heartbroken. It's said that he later remarried, but the soldier and the girl still wrote letters and poetry to one another, professing their love until their deaths. Okay, but that doesn't say they died in the castle, yo. But it's interesting. During the 1800s, a young girl and her family lived in a castle. Another young girl. What's with all the young girls? She met and fell in love with a boy that lived across the fields in a nearby manor. But the girl was forced to meet her sweetheart across the field from her house because her father did not approve. One night, the girl was returning from meeting her lover late at night. As she ascended the stairs with a candle, she slipped and her hair caught on fire. Ah! Oh my God! Rather than screaming and waking her father, and risking her finding out about her secret. She ran from the house, across the fields, in an attempt to get to her lover. But by the time she reached him, she suffered fatal burns and died in his arms. It's also rumored that the girl's father saw a comet flash across the sky a few nights before the incident. But he didn't tell his family because he was afraid he would panic them. I don't know if I believe any of those stories, do you? I mean... Okay, so maybe people didn't know stop, drop, and roll. You gonna tell me she didn't scream? If your hair was on fire, you're not gonna scream? I call bullshit on that one. So anyway, paranormal occurrences, they say now. Stories and experiences have been passed down from generation to generation for more than 300 years. Constant complaints about noises, feelings, and sightings. There is a story of a Baptist preacher who was staying in the castle sometime in the early 20th century. He was up late one night reading when he heard footsteps coming down the stairs. Something then opened the door to the first floor parlor he was in, and he said he felt a presence. Then a rocking chair in the room started rocking of its own accord. He then shouted, Get thee behind me, Satan! And immediately the rocking stopped, and the presence vanished. This leads some to believe that the presence that haunts the halls of Bacon's castle is of a demonic nature. However, many others believe that these occurrences are nothing more than the spirit echoes of Bacon's soldiers still attempting to carry on the rebellion after Bacon's death, a.k.a. a residual haunting. There's nothing intelligent about it. It's, it's like pressing replay, something that just re repeats over and over and can't interact with you. Now, another story is told by that of a former curator of the castle who was there from 73, 1973 to 1981. He said he was awoken around 3 a.m. by the sound of his two-year-old son laughing. When he entered the room, his son asked, Daddy, where's the lady? When he asked what lady he said his son meant, his son responded with, The lady with the white hand, she was tickling me. <laughs> a lot of reports of the paranormal seem to take place in the upstairs portion of the manor. A former owner of the castle said that she would hear footsteps on the stairs late at night. If you know why I'm saying that, cool, you're awesome. She also mentioned that numerous guests of the castle would complain about horrible moaning in the attic. I could make such a... Okay, I won't. Loud popping and cracking is also heard frequently throughout the house. You know, that could just be a house settling, right? I mean, it's freaking old. Many tour guides say that they will feel the presence or cold chills. However, despite this veritable feast of paranormal activity, there is one occurrence that stands above the rest. 
There is an old graveyard attached to Old Lawns Creek Church a few hundred yards away from the castle. Eyewitnesses say that on occasion a pulsating ball of red fire will rise up from the graveyard and soar about 30 feet in the air. No one can explain what this ball of fire is, though many have speculated. There have been theories ranging from scientific manifestations to it being the Prince of Darkness himself. <coughs> Either way, many witnesses have seen this ball of fire over the years, and in the 1930s, a whole church congregation even saw the phenomenon. There is a story of a young servant boy who would always put off his chores. His mother threatened that the fireball would get him if he didn't do them in a timely manner. Well, the story goes that one day as the boy was coming home from the fields, the fireball rose into the sky and chased him. When it caught him, the legend says that it touched the top of his head and set it on fire. The boy ran back home on fire and died in his mother's arms. Yeah, shockingly similar to the story of the young lover. No. Some believe the fireball is a manifestation of the poor star-crossed lover as she runs across the field with her hair on fire. Or maybe it's the young boy. Yet others see it as homage to the comets that foretold the tragedies of early colonial Virginia. Yeah, I, mm. I am now going to read to you an older one, and I have not read ahead like I often do with these, from 2008. I go com. They go through the usual history. Da -da 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 -da. They mention the house being passed down several generations, owned by numerous families. And additions to the house have been made at least three times. The family owning the home in the 1800s had both indentured servants and slaves who worked in the house in the adjoining fields. The original, okay, they talk about this, okay. Several of the windows in the home had initials or names etched into them, including one which had an entire love letter from one of the young owners to his wife. That must be the poem. It says they were only married about four years before she died at age 25. There were also two previously hidden pieces of wall, which these people saw when they went, um, originally covered with sketches and signatures of the house's previous occupants. It was by far one of the best tours they have ever been on, they say. The guide was very knowledgeable and took us to three different levels of the home in the basement. And the basement used to be the original kitchen. Top level was where both indentured servants and slaves slept. One room was furnished to show a bedroom. The door was roped off so no one could go in. But the person writing this, she says, as I stuck my head in the door, I felt the energy in the room was different. I made a comment that the room felt weird. My daughter seemed to poo-poo this idea until about three minutes later when she was carrying my grandson down the stairs. She took one step and fell of down the remaining four stairs. Screamed out her name and rushed to her. Thankfully, they were okay. She jumped up, more embarrassed than hurt. On the next level, grandson seemed to trip over his own feet and falling to the floor. So everybody's talking about get, you know falling and how this never happens. I don't know if that's true or not. What I like to do sometimes in these is to go to the comments. You've heard me do this before if you've listened to me for a while. I read your post today and found it most interesting. 
my family is from the Hampton Roads area and my grandmother has always said that Bacon's Castle was haunted. She swore that every time she was there, it made her feel ill and as soon as she would leave the house, she would feel better. My father says every time he has ever tried to go to Bacon's Castle, it has been closed like he's not supposed to go there. Unknown says, I had the opposite experience from Rebecca. My family recently went there thinking the place opened at 10. We went up to the entrance, turned the doorknob, and walked in. We didn't see anyone inside, but figured that they must be doing something around the house. We walked around, looking at things for sale, used the restroom, even tried to call the information number to see if someone would come down and notice us. All to no avail. So we finally just decided to walk around in the garden and look at the outbuildings. When no one had shown up, after about an hour and a half, we decided to leave. Then the gardener showed up, went to the door we had left earlier, inserted a key, and went in. I went to the door to find out why they weren't open yet. She told me that the new hours start at noon. I explained that we had walked in earlier as the door was unlocked, and she looked at me with a horrified look on her face and told me that the door had been locked the night before and had been locked when she put the key in this morning. But we hadn't locked the door. It was very strange, and apparently the house wanted us to come in for a visit. Now, let us go to an article. Oh, there it is. Aliens stole my tongue. October 6, 2017 at 3.30 p.m. by James Thomas Jr. www.pilotonline.com Do you believe in ghosts? Some say they live at Bacon's Castle in rural Surrey County. If walls could talk, rooms at Bacon's Castle in rural Surrey County would speak volumes about their past and the restless spirits many believe still haunt them. Located off a of Pitch County Road and down a long, dusty lane, the castle is well suited for a haunting. A team of investigators from the Center for Paranormal Research and Investigation in Richmond will lead Historic Haunted Night there on October 14th and 28th. There have been multiple instances where the group leading the tour has heard voices, sounds of doors opening and closing, and footsteps, said Brad Bradley, <laughs> Brad Bradley, CPRI research coordinator. And we've had members have their pant legs or shirts tugged in specific rooms. It will be CPRI's fourth haunted tour pres presentation at the castle in as many years. Since 2011, the investigators have used the 17th century dwelling as a paranormal lab due to their frequency and consistency of unexplained activity. Tours begin at 7.30 on both nights and will run every 30 minutes with the last at 11 p.m. Groups of 16 guests will be taken on each tour, which lasts approximately 45 minutes. And this tour is not recommended for children under 12. The Lady in White is a repeated tale of a specter that has appeared in the house and its property since the 1800s. In recent years, a staffer at the house reported such a sighting and refused to open the house again. She eventually left her job. Another apparition is the bright light that emanates from the garret and passes through the house and out into an open field. It dates to a nearly 100-year-old tale about a woman leaving the garret with a torch to meet her lover, but she tripped and her hair caught fire and killed her. That makes more sense than running clear from the house, doesn't it? At the turn of the 20th century, members of a church revival claimed to witness the light. 
Visitors to the house have talked about a child who pulls their pants legs and a doorknob on a second-story chamber that occasionally turns and opens the door. Former families and staffers have reported objects in rooms moved, broken, or missing. Three different families lived in the house from 1665 to 1972. Three generations of Arthur Allen and the widow of Arthur III, Elizabeth Bray, and her grandson occupied the house for nearly 200 years. Bray outlived two other husbands besides Arthur III, including Arthur, the, Arthur Smith IV, the founder of Smithfield. John Henry Hankins and his family occupied the house for about 30 years raised nine children through the Civil War era. William A. Warren and his family owned the house from about 1880 to 1972. And I just lost the whole page, disappeared on me because it's stupid. And I don't know what just happened. <laughs> so I tried to, um, I tried to find the whole 1930s thing and I didn't. I got tired of Googling. Like I said, this was a more off the cuff, cuff episode. So I'm just now going to uh, cold read nine stories behind the creepiest and craziest ghosts that haunt, in quotation marks, London. This is uh, my London, www.mylondon.news. Why not, right? One of those silly list things. So, at nighttime, London becomes alive with people who are, well, not quite so alive. With its hundred years of history and ancient buildings and landmarks, it's not no surprise some of the most interesting ghosts have decided to settle in the capital. And although many of them are spirits of those who died a very long time ago, some of London's ghosts just refuse to rest in peace. Let's skip right ahead. The Ghost Chicken of Highgate. Highgate's phantom chicken is not exactly the stuff of nightmares, but it does have an interesting backstory. In 1626, Philosopher Sir Francis Bacon. Okay, I swear I didn't plan this, but there you go. It ties in. Just when I was thinking, this doesn't tie in, Sir Francis Bacon was considering what methods he could use to preserve food when the frosty Highgate landscape inspired him to suggest that ice might do the trick. He called, stop, kind sir, to his carriage driver and alighted in Pond Square, where he bought a chicken from a local saleswoman. He plucked and gutted the chicken before stuffing it with a healthy helping of ice. If you think about it, Francis Bacon basically paved the way for the first frozen chicken, so we have a lot to thank him for. But ironically, his exposure to the cold temperatures caused him to catch pneumonia, and he died before he could test the results of his experiment. Besides our obvious delight at the existence of frozen chicken nuggets, Francis Bacon's discovery led to a more bizarre reminder of his memory in the form of a ghostly plucked chicken spotted running aimlessly in circles in Pond Square. There have been various reported sightings of the phantom chicken, but each person who got close found that it had vanished into thin air. Oh God, this is terrible. We'd be pretty egg-sighted if we were to spot it. Moving on, the phantom double-decker bus. Since the 1930s, there have been reports of a phantom bus on Cambridge Gardens in Ladbroke Grove causing some unfortunate accidents, and then it disappears into thin air. In 1934, a motorist was driving along Cambridge Gardens at 1.15 a.m., and witnesses said he suddenly swerved for no apparent reason. The car hit a wall and burst into flames, killing the driver. At the inquest into his death, witnesses came forward to say that they had seen a double-decker bus with a number 7 on the front, heading straight for the driver, which forced him to swerve off the road. But there were no 
number seven buses in London, and more bizarrely, witnesses said the lights were on, but there were no passengers and no drivers. More accidents have happened since, always around 1 a.m., and always involving an out-of-control number seven bus, and always on Cambridge Gardens. The Blackwell Tunnel Hitchhiker So who knew that ghosts sometimes needed a ride? But this particular phantom has a taste for adventure, since he or she only accept rides from motorcyclists. The details vary. Some riders claim to have picked up the wanderer at the north end of the tunnel, others at the south. Some say the passenger is a woman, some swear it's a man. In all of the accounts, the hitchhikers disappeared from the back of the bike before they reached the end of the journey. The ghost is said to be that of a motorcyclist who died outside the tunnel in the 60s, around the same time that reports started about the sightings of said hitchhiker ghost. In 1994, a letter was published in the Fortean Times, a magazine dedicated to the world of strange phenomena, claiming that the writer and his wife had rushed outside the house he was staying in on Blackwell Lane when they heard an accident by the tunnel. They saw that a motorcyclist had been killed. At 2 a.m. that morning, they heard the sound of the exact same accident, but found nothing outside. Anne Boylan. You probably heard this one. The ghost of Anne Boylan has cropped up all over the place since she was beheaded in 1536 by her husband, Henry VIII. I'm Henry VIII. I am Henry... Never mind. There have been several reports of sighting of Anne Boylan at the Tower of London. No surprise, since that's where she was beheaded. And one of the most famous sightings was in 1864, when a military man named General Dundas witnessed Anne's ghostly white figure gliding towards a guard. The guard charged at her, but she promptly vanished. The guard fainted, realizing he'd seen a ghost. The guard was charged with abandoning his post, but he was actually saved by General Dundas, who testified at his trial. As the oldest occupied castle in the world, it's no surprise Windsor Castle has also hosted Anne Boylan's ghost. She has been spotted running down the corridor, screaming, sometimes clutching her head. And every Christmas, Anne visits her childhood home at Hever Castle, standing beneath a large oak tree where she and Henry courted before it all went really, really, really wrong. Anne's ghost also takes trips outside of London. At Blicking Hall, a manor standing on the site of an older residence thought to be her birthplace, legend has it that on the anniversary of her death, 19th May, a carriage pulls up to the house, carrying Anne, with her head, in her own lap. But once the carriage reaches the house, poof, it disappears. Oh, and now we're going to follow that up with the toilet flusher ghost. A slightly more lighthearted ghost lives in the loos at the Bow Bells Pub in East London. The prankster enjoys flushing the ladies' toilets in the pub, whilst punters are actually sitting on them. The pub owners were so convinced that their toilet was haunted that in the 70s they held a ceremony to try to get rid of it. They didn't succeed in flushing out their intruders, so the ghost reportedly still haunts the pub to this day. Of course, there have been no verified sightings, and dodgy plumbing could explain the unprompted flushes, but that would be no fun. Anne Naylor's Scream In 1758, Anne Naylor and her sister were orphans living in a workhouse. At 12, it was common for children to be sent to work as apprentices, and the sisters were packed off to Britain Street in West London to work for Sarah Metyard and her daughter Sally. Dar. 
I just, it doesn't matter if I have a drink or not. Maybe if I drank more, I could say these things properly. I just cannot say these things. Daughter Sally. If I do a fake crappy accent, maybe I can. Who ran a millinery shop. The owners beat, starved, and tortured their apprentices. That's terrible. Anne tried to escape several times, but it was always, but was always found and brought back. She was killed after being tied to a door for three days in a way that stopped her from lying or sitting down. As an example, two other apprentices who might consider misbehaving. The Metiards were terrified to report her death, so they hid Anne's body in the attic and kept up the pretense that she was alive by taking food and water to her. Frightened that the other apprentices would also realize something was amiss, the mother and daughter chopped up the body of the young girl and tried to burn it in the fireplace. It released a terrible smell, so they dumped the pieces in an open sewer in Chick Lane, which is now called West Street. The murderous mother and daughter would have gotten away with it had it not been for Sally's confession four years later after she and her mother had argued. The pair were tried and sentenced to hang. In a particularly gruesome twist, the judge also ruled that they should be dissected after death as an additional punishment for their horrific crime. Sarah Metyart collapsed on the scaffold and was hanged while she was unconscious. Probably a mercy, that. Today, Farringdon Station stands where the body of Anne was dumped. Countless passengers have reported hearing her scream as the last train leaves this station. So don't be on that last train. Next, we have the bank nun. November 1811. A cashier at the Bank of England, Philip Whitehead, was found guilty of having forged checks and he was sentenced to death. Sentenced to death for stealing money. Can you imagine? He was hanged in 1811. News of his death was kept from his devoted sister, Sarah Whitehead, who was housed by his friends in Wine Office Court off Fleet Street. One day, when Sarah came to ask about the whereabouts of her brother, a careless bank clerk blurted out the story of his trial and execution. The news caused Sarah to lose her mind, and in her state, she turned up to the bank every day to ask about him. That's so sad. She was dubbed the bank nun on account of her long black dress. Bank staff were courteous, and she was provided with regular sums of money to compensate her misfortune. But Sarah became convinced that the bank was withholding a large fortune from her, and she started hurling insults at the staff in front of customers. Offering her a large sum of money, the bank asked that Sarah accept the settlement and never return to the bank. She kept her promise until her death, when she decided to yet again take up inquiring after Philip. More than one weary banker on his way home from a day's work has reported seeing her ghostly figure on Threadneedle Street. She's asking those she passed by, or through, if they had seen her brother. Then we have William Terrace. 16 December 1897, actor William Terrace was murdered by a crazed fellow actor, Richard Archard Prince. Acting! Terrace was a big star, playing lead parts in Othello, Hamlet, and the Merchant of Venice at the Lyum. 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 I don't know how to say it, y'all. L-Y-E-U-M. Lyum. Richard was allegedly jealous of his comrade's success to the point where it drove him mad. And he died in Broadmoor Lunatic Asylum in 1937. On the night Terrace was killed, he was due to perform in a play. 
He went to enter the Adelphi Theater through the stage door on Maiden Lane, but was stabbed literally in the back on the doorstep. Terrace helped Prince to find, had helped Prince to find work in various productions he'd been in. While acting in the Harbor Lights, Terrace took offense to something Prince had said and had him dismissed. They were seen arguing in the days after. So Terrace's spirit has been spotted multiple times lurking around his popular haunts in Covent Garden, in Covent Garden Underground Station, and the Adelphi Theater. In the early 20s, actors at the Adelphi reported unusual tapping noises, disembodied footsteps, and unexplained knocks at their dressing room door. Now, although Covent, Covent Garden Underground, I keep wanting to say convent, and it's not, had not been built at the time of his death, in its place was a bakery known to be frequented by Terrace. Underground staff have been spooked by the appearance of a dapper-dressed man who disappears into thin air when approached. Joseph Grimaldi. Joseph Grimaldi, accredited with the first pantomime performance, was an actor at the Theatre Royale. In 1818, he was suffering from a crippling disease, so the theater arranged a benefit performance for him, but he died shortly after. Since his death in 1837, Grimaldi's ghost has been known to kick members of the staff at the theater. Gee, they tried to help you, dude. Why are you kicking them? In a more kindly gesture, actors and actresses have reported feeling the hands of Grimaldi directing them on stage. A young American comedian performing in Oklahoma was struggling through her punchlines, with silence from the audience meeting her after each one, and her confidence quickly plummeting. And guess what? For some reason, it freaking ends there. And there's no... Where's the rest of the story, yo? So her confidence plummeted, and, 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 and nothing. Like, it cut off. I'm not even joking. I told you this was a cold read. How does it end? Wait, wait. Uh, 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 okay, you know what? I'm just going to guess that the whole point was that, like, he helped her through it. Okay, here we go. I found it. Whew, thank God. In her hour of need, she, that's my cat playing with his squeaky mouse. Yeah. In her hour of need, she felt a hand on her shoulder. Push. Now I'm listening to the squeaking. Pushing her to a different part of the stage reposition her head and hold up her arms arms the next line she delivered was met with a chorus of laughter and applause <laughs> squeaky squeaky another young actress auditioning for a role in the king and i swore she felt the reassuring hand of grimaldi holding hers throughout the audition to calm her nerves we're not sure how reassured we would feel if an invisible hand grabbed ours during an audition oh thank god some of these websites you know they have ads that pop up and stuff and and it's terrible and you know that's a reason why sometimes doing these cold readings can be well they can be kind of hilarious yeah so anyway that is my messed up little story <laughs> my most messed up little podcast for this week oh my god what is that don't know probably just infected my computer I need to stop and with the squeaky squeaky in the background <laughs> if you can hear it I'm gonna call this one good and goofy and uh, hopefully I'll be back on my game next week 
I'm going to try to find some very interesting thing. You can always email me with ideas or tell me your stories so I can share them. Do you have anything good? Uh, Sroyts at PinkySquarePress.com. Leave me some comments about this one. You know, find me on Twitter at PodPinky or somewhere. Should I do something cryptid next time? Which cryptid is is like anything like Mothman, Bigfoot, you know, things like that. Cryptozoologist, squeaky, squeaky in the the great squeaking toy of the cat. Crypt, yeah. Uh, should I do? You guys love the possession shit. Ave Maria is like almost 400 downloads. I don't know why that one particularly really struck with you guys, but that's cool. Maybe you felt sorry for her like I did too, but um, a, a lot of them are very sad when you really get to looking at them. Um, yeah, I could do that. I could do, uh, psh, I don't know. Give me some ideas. Tell me what you want to hear. S. Royt, R-Y-T, at PinkySquarePress.com. Don't ask me what I'm doing. I'm just being ridiculous. I'm just ridiculous. By the way, I joined TikTok. S underscore Royt, R-I-T. I have a handful of videos up there right now. I'm messing around with it. I have to admit, it's kind of fun. I resisted it, but it's fun. I may use it mostly for my barber shop that I told you a little about in the beginning, my shop that I'm starting. Well, I mean, I've been working for myself this whole time, but now I'll be totally alone in my own little room with my own decorations, and I will be sharing stuff there. And maybe I could share some other videos or spooky things. It could be a combo page. I don't know. But come check it out. S underscore Royt, R-O-I-T. Trying to make some goofy ass videos, and if you're on there, I'll follow you back, okay? Okay, I'm going to quit because I'm tripping over my own lips at this point. I don't even know what the hell I just recorded. Thank you for listening. And don't hate me. It's not my fault Megan wasn't that interesting.